I'll try not to cry. <laughs> Too late. What an honour it is to stand on this stage that has been shared by so many amazing women this morning. Um, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we definitely had a guitarist. Because um, apparently we don't play instruments. It's not true. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah plays them all. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah's our token music. By the way, Sarah and Jeff normally sit over there, right? And um, they sat over this side today, but I had the, I had the, the privilege of sitting in front of them and it's like dueling harmonies behind you. It's just, it's so lovely. <laughs> I know. And every so often I'd hear, that's mine. <laughs> so, yeah, so if you, if you get the opportunity, do sit in front of Jeff and Sarah. It, it leads to much entertainment. Okay. Now, the other thing I worked out is that I was... Um, talking to one of my students about the fact that I was doing this and I said she said oh, I'd love to love to hear it because um, they haven't heard it in this kind of expanded version they've heard each session in about 10 or 15 minutes um, and and so I went to the podcast to find it and um, discovered <laughs> that they've been going longer and longer and longer throughout and and just in case you've ever wanted to know how long I can talk when you've just sort of like wound me up and let me go, and it turns out it's about 40 minutes before I need some other kind of, I've got at least that much material, Josh will tell you it's, yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, okay, um, so yeah, Josh will tell you it's a lot longer, but yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to try and, um, try and calm it down a bit today, because yeah, 45 minutes is too long, but right, okay, so. Yeah, I know, but I'm, I'm not, I'm one person. You don't watch a monologue for an hour and a half. Well, you might be today. Um, so watch out. So, again, standard disclaimer, this is not my material. This is Vaughan's material. He is the bomb, read his book. I have copies, suss it out online. He is, he is a good teacher. Um, but yeah, but I have put this together for my work. Um, I have had some great times this week. It's been hectic. Um, but I, I love, love, love my job and I love that I, get to, um, that I get to work with students as they kind of suss out for themselves, just as Lynn did, um, as we all did when there was a point where we kind of went, how is this going to look in my life and what am I going to do with this? Um, is it just my parents or is it mine? And um, sort of working that out and trying to work out where life goes. And so I get to stand alongside students as they do that and help ask curly questions and that kind of stuff. We had a grads brunch last weekend where um, students that had been out of uni for only one to three years um, came and shared what they were doing and so many of them are doing ministry-based stuff um, or they're really deeply considering how their degree and their current job can help them actually minister to people around them. So either they've gone on to workplaces where they're thinking about how they can sort of invite friends to, to read the gospel with them um, or they're actually working in ministry situations or they've headed on to Bible college or they're doing further study in theology. So um, be assured that this is a, a ministry that is um, bearing fruit within three years of students finishing. They're all sort of, they're just, they're just on fire for sharing who Jesus is with those people around him. Um, so if you want to get involved, talk to me because they need staff to help guide them and um, 
and the more hours I can do that, the better off they are. So, um, yeah, so talk to me if you'd like to financially support that or if you'd like to be involved in praying for that as well. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to pray first and then we'll, we'll get right into it. Lord Jesus, today we see you. We thank you for um, the long time that we've been able to spend in the Old Testament looking at how it pointed forward to who you are um, and that you burst onto the scene surprising everyone. Nobody expected uh, you the way you were, but we thank you that um, you were exactly who you are, that you were the Messiah that we need. And we thank you that you have given us the honour and the privilege of knowing that today. And so we look forward to reading your Gospels and learning more of you and seeing how you fulfil the Old Testament and how your promises are trustworthy today. We pray that you would teach us by your Spirit that we would grow more in knowledge and understanding and more in love with you as you make us look more like you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay. So, we've had six units up to this point. I won't make you recap them because it's now getting quite long. So, we started with the pattern in Genesis with the picture of the new, um, the new creation. We then had the perish kingdom where the people sinned and they were... Um, condemned to death, um, which was both a graciousness and um, a punishment. We then had the promised kingdom where God promised Abraham that he was going to do the three things that we've been looking at all the way through so that the people would be God's people. Excellent. I put it in the sentence every time. <laughs> it's not a trick question. <laughs> I'm not trying to trip you up. So God's people in God's place under God's Yay! Excellent. Okay, so they were the promises. We then had the partial kingdom. So we spent two weeks looking at the partial kingdom where, um, where the people were named as God's people. The Israelites were taken out of Egypt. They were named as his people. He, they were given his law, so they were under his rule and blessing, and they were given the new covenant. If you, believe in, if you follow these, um, these laws, then I will, um, I will bless you. But if you don't follow them, I will curse you. Excellent. Um, and then we had that they entered the promised land, so they were in his place. And then the king system was instituted, and so they were under his king as well, which was part of his rule and blessing. We then had the fall apart of the king system um, and the split of the two kingdoms, so they went to the north and the south. Um, and, and the prophets then were raised up to call the people back to where they needed to be uh, so that the, the kingdom would continue. So the northern kingdom was demolished pretty, pretty early. They were not in the promised line of David. Um, but the southern kingdom, which had access to Jerusalem and the temple and the kings in the line of David, that continued on for a bit longer. But after a while, God was like, you know what, enough's enough. And so destruction of the temple, dismantled kingdom, um, and then they slowly were able to sort of drib-drab back in to the promised land um, under Babylon, Persia, Persia, important to get that right, and it was Nebuchadnezzar who was the king of Babylon. Just, I know you were all lying awake at night trying to remember when I couldn't remember the name of the king, it was Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> I lay in bed and I was like, ah, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and then uh, they rebuilt the temple 
And the young men celebrated because they're like, hooray, we're back to where we should be. And the old men wept because they knew that this was a pale imitation of where they were supposed to be. So we've left them there and then 400 years of silence, which is the intertestamental period between the New Testament and the Old Testament, <laughs> Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years of silence where God doesn't raise up a judge, a king, a prophet, nobody. There's no, there's no communication from God whatsoever. So we've got 400 years of silence, which is a long time. It's like the 1600s. From now. <laughs> no, as in like, in the 1600s, God stopped talking and now he starts talking. It's, it's a long time. Like, it sounds like not a lot when you're talking big history, but when you think of what has developed since... Six, 45 minutes, people, this is how it happens. Right. Um, so I'm on my first line of notes. Right. So we have four Gospels in the New Testament, praise be to the Lord. Um, We have Matthew, Mark and Luke, which are known as the Synoptic Gospels, um, and they are verbal parallels of each other. So um, they're very similar in style, they tell a lot of the same stories. And then we've got John, which is a very different style, has a lot of unique material, and you just know from the first verse that it's ever so slightly different, and part of it then makes you go, oh, John wrote Revelation, makes sense. When you then sort of go back and read John, it's like, oh, it's much more poetic language, much more kind of, it's beautiful. It's actually my favourite of the Gospels, but um, it just takes a little bit more sort of thinking because it's not quite as straightforward as the others. Um, they have complementary accounts throughout them, so lots of them have the same stories. Um, they are complementary, they're not contradictory. So often there's, you know, people see as a stumbling block the fact that the stories are told differently. Um, but it's partly because they each have their own distinct contribution to make. Um, and each author had his own purpose in writing the gospel that he wrote in the way that he did. So take Mark, for example, which we're studying in our small groups at the moment. Mark is the shortest gospel. If we read only Mark, we would have no virgin birth, we would have no Elizabeth and Zechariah, we'd have no understanding of how John came to be, we'd have no trip to Bethlehem for the the census, we'd have no Jesus boy in the temple, we'd have um, no... (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Happy Mother's Day! (laughs) We'd have... um, no water into wine. It literally starts with John bursting onto the scene and Jesus being baptised and then him starting his ministry. And so we wouldn't have any of that stuff because Mark's intention was not about that kind of stuff. He was about where does Jesus fulfil the Old Testament? And so the way he orders and structures his stories is to go, he is the man that has been promised from the Old Testament. He is the man that can heal and has authority over demons. He is the man that has authority over the wind and the waves. And, and his stories are thematic rather than... And so when you've got somebody who's writing a short book and there's only so many stories in it, the things that they put in become much more significant and the things that they leave out are very telling. So it's often really important to actually study them together to work out what is the message of this particular gospel writer on about. Um, So they've all got their own distinctive contribution and I wanted to give you a bit of an image and bear in mind that this is total hyperbole in at least one instance and I'll let you try and guess what that is. So story. Um, So one morning um, I get a knock on the door and, um, and there's a guy 
with a $10,000 check from like Sunrise or whatever. I don't watch Sunrise, so I'm unlikely to be in that competition, but <laughs> knock on the door, check. Hooray, you're the cash cow winner or whatever it is that they have. Anyway, so the way that I might communicate that to Josh is that I would probably send him a text and I would go, hey, babe, or maybe even, hey, baby, because that's, we're that, we're that couple. Sorry, well, I'm that couple, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby, um, just one ten grand, pop it straight on the mortgage? And he'd probably go, yes. And that would be, that may or may not be the hyperbole. <laughs> but the next thing I'd do is I would ring my mum and I would say, are you sitting down? You need to watch... Channel 9 this week because, is it Channel 9? I've got no idea. Um, I should have, seven, I should have investigated my illustration. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't willing to do the work on this part. <laughs> Are you sitting down? I just had a knock on the door and when I opened the door, there's this guy there with this massive check and a video camera right in my face and my gosh, I wish I had done my hair because it looked like a horror show. Hot mess. And... Um, and so, like, I just, I just won this competition and I'm going to be on TV, you need to watch it tomorrow. Right? Two entirely different stories, very different emphases, different audiences, different styles, same thing. But if you'd only read one and not read the other, you would have no idea of the dynamic between me and Josh or me and my mum. Um, but you'd also think that they were two different events because I just described them so entirely differently. So that's some of how our gospel writers work together. So some of the stories, also bearing in mind that they're covering three years of ministry, and Jesus did a lot of miracles, healed a lot of people, and so sometimes the stories are actually the same, and sometimes they might be two different events, because think of just all the thousands he healed on day one <laughs> in Mark. Um, so yeah, so we've got the same overall message though throughout them all, is that no matter what, they are announcing Jesus as Messiah and the fulfilment of the Old Testament because that is the whole purpose of them, so that people might know that Jesus has come to do what God has said he will and that the Old Testament is being fulfilled. Okay. So across them, we see that Jesus is the fulfilment of the Old Testament. So the start of Matthew 1.1 is... This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And nothing kicks off a book like a genealogy. <laughs> it's just, woo, strap in people. But what that does is when your when you're belonging to God is totally dependent on who your family is, because if you're not an Israelite, if your family doesn't trace back to Abraham, you are not included. So these, gene these genealogies are critical. You had to know that you were part of the kingdom because you had to be able to trace it back. So the fact that Jesus is so clearly traced back through all the way back to Adam in one of the, old, uh, one of the gospels is so critically important for establishing who he is. <laughs> wow, we're about to get crazy. So that is also very exciting. <laughs> We've got the start of Mark 1, 2 to 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you 
who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. So we've got Isaiah telling us about the herald that they were foretelling. So Mark has already, within his first two to three verses, has announced this is who Isaiah was talking about. And that's where I get the goosebumps that I mentioned last week. We've got the story of Luke in one, uh, story, the start of Luke is in 1, 54 to 55. This is Mary's song that she's singing and she uses Old Testament ideas. She says, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So she's talking of God there. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised his, our ancestors. Could you imagine being the mother of the Messiah? That's a big gig. At like, how old was she? 12? Insane. And then we get the start of John 1.1, 1, 1, and already you'll see the poetry here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we've got there a deliberate echo of Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. He's setting up that same poetry that was used at the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, there was nothing. So we've got that deliberate echo that is harking back to the Old Testament. So all of them, within their first chapter, all go back to the Old Testament to say, this is who Jesus is and this is what's happening. We're kicking this off. And remember, because you will know these stories, they will be like earworm songs in your head. It's like we've been playing Hurdle which is the wordle equivalent of music, and you get at one second, and then you get two seconds, and then you get five seconds, I think. And we're actually on a streak of five in the first second. Oh, five, correct. Well, that's less <laughs> impressive. We've had quite a few in the first second because there are some songs that are just so distinctive that within the first chord, you know what it is. And so for the, for the disciples and for the readers of these texts, they will know what is coming because they would know their Old Testament well enough to recognise this is the little earworms that they are. So, what they're showing us is that the patterns of Israel and the messages of the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. So what we see is Jesus is the fulfilment of the Old Testament, but he is also God's people. So he reflects God's character as he obeys the law. So he is the true Israel. He is the one that is, has been promised, but also is the one that fulfills all the things that us, that we, that the people can't fulfill. He was tested for 40 days in the wilderness, which is an equivalent to the 40 years of wandering that the, um, that the Israelites had to do. He is tested consistently. There are three different tests that um, Satan gives him and he always remains faithful. He knows his scriptures. He speaks them back. He does not fall to the snare of Satan. He gathers 12 disciples, which then become our 12 apostles. Um, and that's the foundation of the new people. They mirror the 12 tribes of Israel that also didn't keep it together. Um, just as we can't keep it together. But those disciples were the beginning of the new people, um, the new Israel. And then he declares, I am the vine and you are the branches in John 15, 5. Let's read that passage. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Now, the vine is very symbolic of Israel in the Old Testament. You might recognize that across um, a lot of the Old Testament passages, there are, there are so many mentions. If you actually do a word search of vine or vineyard in the Old Testament, it, it, it's just huge. My, I'd never noticed before, but there are so many mentions of it. And it's normally a sense of prosperity that when you can look after your own vineyards further on in Micah or earlier in Micah, where's the Micah bit? Micah 4, 1 to 5, which talks about pruning shears into plough hooks or all sorts of things. And I will live under my vine and you will live under, and there'll be peace in the world um, where there'll be no need for weapons and all that kind of stuff. So it's a sense of peacefulness, tranquility, prosperity, safety and security. Vines take a while to, to sort of grow and be productive and they require work and all that kind of stuff. So if you contend to vines, it means you're not being totally battled on all sides all the time. You can actually sit and make it happen. Um, So essentially what he's saying is, I am the true Israel. There's, Like I said, there's lots of symbology of vines in Israel in the Old Testament. And so he's saying, I am the true Israel when he says, I am the vine. And so is anyone joined to me which is a new blessing. What we then also see is that Jesus is God's place where God could be met. So in John 1, 1, uh, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. That word dwelling, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, can also be translated as tabernacled. Um, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. So you'll remember the tabernacle was the place of meeting, the tent um, or part of the um, temple where God's presence dwelt and where um, the priests would come in and spend time in his presence. Um, And so he's saying, I am here, I am amongst you, I am right in with you. We then also see that he is the true temple. So John seven thirty seven to 38, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now you might remember from last week, we talked about how the, the tabernacle, the temple that was to come would have streams of living water rushing out from it and Jesus saying I am that person where streams of living water will come Um, and that is also how the spirit is identified later on too so the spirit is the living water that helps us be connected to God the next thing we see so we've done Jesus is God's people Jesus is God's place and Jesus is God's rule and blessing so we've got Jesus is the true king in that he's the son of David. So we've seen in the um, genealogies that he is the son of David. And so he has the capacity to reverse the, the effects of sin because he's in the right family line and he's the king that God promised would come. So he reverses the effects of sin. He performs miracles constantly in healing. In, um, and we've got a section, but I don't have it written out, Matthew, uh, Matthew 12, 22 to 28. Um, But not only, so miracles of healing and um, demon um, driving out, demon expulsion. Yeah, that'll do. 
He cast out demons. He also had control over the wind and the waves and just the general weather patterns. Um, he could walk on water. He could um, make bread multiply and fish multiply, um, all sorts of things. So he can perform these miracles because he has authority over creation. And so he, will, he has the capacity to restore creation, which he does in his miracles in part. Um, he is the son of God. He exhibits God's powers. So only God has the authority to forgive sins, to calm the waters, to, um, to perform all those things. And then he gives us the blessings of the resurrection as well. It's the proof of his conquest before his ascension. So we have the double blessing that comes through his resurrection... Oh, sorry, I missed one. Conquest over Satan. That's pretty key. <laughs> so he's exhibited God's powers and showed he's the son of God. And he also has conquest over salvation, Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. And the cross is traditionally a sign of defeat. Like it's the Romans' most horrific way of killing people. And normally, if your leader is crucified on a cross, that's pretty much the end of your go at bringing in a new order. But he was resurrected, um, which gives us the double blessing of promising and showing that life after death is possible, um, but also that he enters into the eternal rest that we talked about with Genesis chapter 1 the enjoyment of what was lost in Eden and the, the rest that we then can enter into in God's presence in the new heavens and the new earth. And the whole point of what God is trying to do across the whole of history is that ushering in and welcoming in the new era of eternal rest. So all of these things were achieved through one event. A friend refers to it as the deep completeness of the cross. Everywhere you look, there is something else that the cross achieves for our benefit. And so, when we look at the cross, we see salvation through substitution. So, the narrative of the Old Testament and the Gospels all marches towards the climax of the Bible. which is the crucifixion. This is not an accident or a tragic mistake. This is not things getting out of God's control. This is something that God had intended and was part of the plan. So Mark 8.31 says, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Not an accident, not a tragic mistake, but actually totally the plan, always the plan. Mark 8.31 tells us, oh, I've just said that one. <laughs> um, so yeah, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. He was totally innocent. He was not a lawbreaker. He did not deserve this. He was the one man of all of creation that did not deserve, one person, of all of creation that did not deserve the death that he suffered. And yet, he did it. 
totally innocent, not a lawbreaker, as we are ever after Adam's um, fall. So as a result, God's wrath is satisfied, or fancy word, propitiated. (laughs) Use that in a sentence today, confuse your friends and family. Um, The important thing to remember is that God's justice demands punishment. He is entirely holy, he is entirely just. And so the sin that has been committed must be punished. Otherwise, he's not holy and he's not just. If he just lets it slide, there's no justice in that. It's merciful in a lot of ways, but it's not just. And so to be entirely true to his character, the sin that is committed must be paid for. So he directed his anger against himself in the person of his son so that it wasn't a consequence that we had to deal with. So 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so this is where we also see the Passover lamb and the Old Testament sacrifices, these animals that had nothing to do with our sin, but who bore the brunt of it by being sacrificed on our behalf. Jesus, who is a human Not only 100% human, but also 100% God. He died on a cross so that the animals that weren't cutting it as sacrifices never had to be made again. And it's just incredible to think that a God who deliberately showed in Genesis 1 that out of creation's order and perfection and his love that overflows, that he creates creation and calls humanity the pinnacle of his creation compared to other ancient Near Eastern myths where it was all fire and humans are nasty and they must serve us and all this kind of stuff, that he then sent his son to die to redeem them back to him. There is not a single story from any other ancient Near Eastern religion, today, past, present or whatever, of God sacrificing himself for the benefit of humanity so that they could be restored to relationship with him. It's totally unique of Christianity. What a joy. So the new covenant is then ushered in as a result of Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension. We are forgiven. God is our Father We can approach him as such. The curtain temple, the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. This huge, extraordinarily heavy curtain that we talked about a few weeks ago that blocked off people from the presence of God that has been ripped at the point of Jesus' death from top to bottom, orchestrated by God so that anyone has access Not just Israelites, not just circumcised, not just the ones that behave, but anyone who accepts it. We are forgiven. God is our Father. And we have fellowship with God by the Holy Spirit. We don't need to make sacrifices at a temple anymore. It's not about where we go and what we say and what we do. It's about what the Holy Spirit enables. And we can, in a moment, pray. 
we can read our scriptures, we can, um, we can talk to God, we can know that the Holy Spirit fills us and leads us and shapes us. It's an incredibly, incredibly privileged position. It's the word of the week. <laughs> Incredible. So now, Jesus shows us that he is God's people, the true Israel. He is God's place, the true tabernacle or temple, the true place where God is met. And God's rule and blessing is found in Jesus, the true king and the resurrection life. So we've got the true king who is in perfect relationship with the Father and perfectly moder- uh, mediates our behaviour and our relationship with God and God's rela- the Father's relationship with us. And here's the resurrection life. He paves the way. We know that we will not die as our ancestors have done, but we will have eternal life. But it's not finished. And we know that. We've got two weeks to go. Two weeks we've got the proclaimed kingdom to come, which is the point that we live in now. So it is the most directly relevant series of chapters for our life today of all of the Bible because it's speaking to the same situation that we are in now. And then, of course, the perfected kingdom next week. So let me pray (laughs) over the noise and then we'll leave very quickly. I've got my running shoes on today. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Lord Jesus, oh man. What a privilege. What an indescribable blessing it is to live this side of the cross. We thank you for all those who have gone before, who have grappled with what it means to be a follower of yours. We thank you for all of those who have shown us the way, how to, um, how to love you well and to serve you well, to fearlessly declare who you are despite enormous opposition. We thank you for those who've gone before who have made the wrong choices, who have chosen selfishness, money, greed, um, personal comfort, financial comfort, um, all the things that actually mean that their security is found somewhere else other than you. We thank you for the Israelites who wandered the desert. We thank you for Joshua who led his people into the promised land. We thank you for David who showed, um, who was a king after your own heart. We thank you for the prophets that followed, that called the people back. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. There are not enough words and there is not enough time to adequately thank you for the deep, completeness of the cross we may never understand fully all that that means for us and all that it meant for you and so we stand in awe knowing that there will be a point where we also stand with you in the new heavens and the new earth presented as perfect standing beside your son as adopted children true heirs receiving every blessing of that parenthood relationship 
and that we get to bow down and sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We thank you that we have that picture to strive towards because of Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.